0: For the rest of you, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Grant, if you could pull the screen on, there we go. To close the service today, we're going to have an update, missions moment from Eli and Jess, and so we're looking forward to that, a video they've sent. Maybe you've seen that, uh, maybe not. It's going to be very encouraging to you. But uh, right now we'll be First Corinthians chapter 15. God's plan for a healthy church is our title for our study in the first in these two books of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. In this section right here, chapter 16, as Paul begins to wrap up his comments, it's income, itinerary, and instructions. And here, particularly, the collection. So look, if you would, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16. We got our feet wet last week as we began to break Paul's instruction open, really concerning the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Look at verse 1 through verse 4, we'll read it together. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Verse 3, when I arrive, whomever you may approve... I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, verse 4. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Let's stop right there. Now, we saw last time, as, as you can see, this is a very packed passage. We saw last time that our passage is speaking, first of all, about meeting the needs of those within the church. And particular, this is the church in Jerusalem. And last time I gave you a lot of background passages to help you kind of connect this collection. We went to Romans Where Paul has already made his rounds and made the collection is on his way to Jerusalem and we saw all these churches contributed Corinthian church contributed we saw the Thessalonian church uh, Church of Macedonia contributed and so we saw at the end where they had responded well now right now they're receiving the instruction now according to Paul he had sent Timothy ahead uh, perhaps a year or so before and to start this collection here in the Corinthian church and so Paul is writing them and he says now concerning the collection which takes us back really to chapter 7 as he's responding to questions from the church this helps us uh, connect it to that Paul is making some responses to people who have some questions about what the collection is supposed to look like and so this is uh, speaking first of all about meeting the needs within the church, the church in Jerusalem and we also noticed and you can see this that the byproduct of the Apostle Paul's request for generosity towards the church in Jerusalem is the general pattern or a standard for all new testament giving and we'll seek to really pull those guidelines out from the instruction that Paul gives to the Corinth concerning the ministry that they have now we saw that last time that the well-being of the Jerusalem church was a concern to God from acts we saw Paul say that it was a concern we saw that Peter and John and a number of the other ones uh, and James also said hey remember the poor it was on their mind as well what was going on in Jerusalem we talked about all that background uh, that was going on in Jerusalem and why there was need there. We saw last week that uh, the church in Jerusalem was helping to meet the needs by uh, selling things that they had and meeting the needs of people who were there. And so they were stepping up to the plate and meeting needs. And so Paul is encouraging the churches in the Gentile world to contribute too. And We saw all the reasons why. We won't go back through that. But this general pattern for New Testament giving, uh, those guidelines then come out of all of this it's a concern to God for those in Jerusalem. It's a concern to God later in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians that we're in now. It, uh, it was a concern to God in 2 Corinthians that we're going to study uh, very soon. Uh, the well-being of those who have need has always been a concern to God. And we looked at a lot of passages that had that on God's mind as his people came into the land, as he continued to remind them that those who had need was important. Make sure you meet those needs. And so all those things are very uh, much a part of God's mind. It, we see that in the scriptures all over the place. And in general, sacrificial giving and sharing have always been a concern to God. And I believe, as we said this before, that God uses those who have need to teach us to express love in action in a very tangible way. Now, we illustrated that with a lot of examples. We won't go back, uh, drawing really parallels between the Old and New Testament. And we saw that the similarities were really extensive. And over it all, the heart of God for for us was to have this attitude of, so what is the need? And then really the action is to follow that attitude in helping to meet that need. Now, there are some universal guidelines for that action. And 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 is a place where we can see some of those universal guidelines. So look back, if you would, uh, to uh, that uh, that passage, verses 1 through 4, look at verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also, in other words, I've already given this instruction out, it's the same that I'm going to give to you, the churches have heard what's supposed to happen, and then he says this, verse 2, on the first day of every week each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. So we just call this then guidelines for giving, and we saw that guideline number one really is implied by the entire passage and its background, and it was this, Uh, Guideline number one was giving is the way the church's needs are met or to make it personal. We are to give then in order to meet the needs of the church. So uh, really the first seven words of uh, verse two then give us a historical understanding of when we typically do that. And so verse two says this uh, on the first day of every week. We come together, of course, and worship on the first day of the week. We do that because the New Testament uh, saints set that model for us on Christ's resurrection day. They began to meet on that day people meet, Paul says when you come together to meet, so that has been the pattern, he says uh, we understand that resurrection, believers continue to worship, and so giving guideline uh, number one, giving is the way, number two, giving is the way the church's needs are met, uh, we give in order to meet the needs of the church, and guideline number two is this, if, if it is to occur on the first day of the week, then it will appear that giving is, normally occurs as part of worship, we've included that here, Uh, And perhaps other churches where you have been Giving is part of worship Paul says you're going to do it on that first day that you meet in worship Giving is part of that worship And so I want you to do that when you come together So uh, Each one of you then was that next step Hekastos, It's supportive of each and every one of you So Paul says concerning the collection for the saints As I directed the churches in Galatia So do you also on the first day of every week each one is you to put aside and save as he may prosper so they may no collections be made when I come. So that last part, that next part is each one of you. And that's just each and every one of you. So guideline number three we saw, everyone's supposed to participate. And I guess in general, you can understand this. The normal action of believers is to give. That's the normal action, okay? I don't think you can, as we went through all that background last time, and I won't go through that again, I don't think you can come away with any other understanding. Now, I gave you some, really, some historical uh, uh some of the things that we can see in the church and observe over the years, what's actually the case in the church now, uh, how many actually give, how many don't, all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter remains that the instruction is clear. Each one of you, we're going to see it again, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, each one of you over and over again. And so everybody's supposed to participate. I don't think there's any way you can look at the passage and say that there's some exception for me or for someone. Uh, It is part of what normal Christian behavior looks like. And so imagine... Paul could have said anything he wanted to say right here. He said each one of you, but he could have said anything that he wanted to say. He could have said, all those with extra this month, come and give. Or he could have said, if you're wealthy, redistribute it. Or he could have said, uh, only if you think you can afford it, come and drop off a check. He could have said anything he wanted. The Holy Spirit could have carried him along to say any of those things, but what he said was, each one of you. He just took in a very broad stroke and just said, hey, you participate. And there's lots of reasons, of course, people give for not giving, and we're going to deal with some of those later, really as a kind of a secondary understanding of, uh, or a footnote, if you will, of this instruction. But I think we understand the Lord and his word well enough to understand that his meaning is clear. And then I really gave you two verses to help you perhaps to develop uh, your feelings about all of this, and they bear repeating. First one is Luke 6, 38, where Jesus is speaking on the Beatitudes, and he says this, He says, give, it will be given to you, they'll pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So in other words, as you understand and you develop your feelings about this, wherever you are in this process of spiritual walk with with the things that you have, understand this, if you understand this, then you understand this, In in proportion to what you give, God will give back to you. So not only that, but God will use the same measuring implement that you use, and he will press it down, pack it tightly, and cause it to overflow. So interestingly, if you give a lot, you receive a lot more. That's just God's words. Jesus is giving these words as he talks to his followers. So when you give, Jesus said, God will fill your lap to overflowing. So being generous in giving results in greater generosity to you from God. And so if you think about that, that's a very direct path of blessing from God to you and in light of that Luke passage this next verse makes a lot of sense and this is the second one I gave you to help you really develop your feelings about that about giving Acts 2 20, 35. here Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus and he's giving some final instruction talking about the the scope of his ministry and then he says this in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive now Jesus said you're, that what you give away brings greater blessing than what you receive. So to have the most blessing, you have to give. And then we saw you know, a, a principle that can help us transition to Paul's further instruction in this verse, and that principle was this. Dealing spiritually with material things, okay? So put that together. Dealing spiritually with the earthly things that you have has to do with how you feel about what you have, not how much you have, okay? It has to do with how you look at what you have. So understand, and we're gonna get more specific today about that, how you kind of evaluate all of that. But really, the bottom line is this. It really has to do with where do you set your heart? On what is your heart set? Okay, and I've told you this before. You can look at your digital checkbook, and you can figure that out pretty fast, okay? Where is that? Where is your proportion? Where do you set your heart? Where's your? What's the most important things to you? Now, there's a number of passages that we'll examine that will help us shape those feelings, and I, really, that's what we're about, okay? If we're gonna look at, general principles for giving in the New Testament, and we understand that it really is about how you feel about what you have, then there's a lot of passages that are going to deal with how to shape those feelings, because obviously, naturally, we're not going to respond in the way that we see the scriptures tell us to respond. The natural man is having no such compunction, okay? If the natural man wants to give, it's usually out of his wealth, and he wants to make sure as many people understand that he gave it as possible, and we've seen tons of examples about that. If somebody wants to give a lot, they're probably going to be on TV with this big fat check that's like 30 times bigger than a normal check and it says their name at the bottom and it says how much they're going to give. Okay, So we understand that's not, the, that's not the type of giving we're talking about here. So we're going to shape our feelings in a way that begins to conform us really to the image of Christ using his word to sanctify us. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, we're going to do that in just a minute, but what I want to look at these next uh, couple of guidelines before we do that because they are very important. All right, So look at this third section of verse 2. So he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to, now catch this, very important, put aside and save as he may prosper. Now, there's a couple of things there that we want to make sure we put into play as we develop our feelings about what we have and how we give it. Now, this has to do with intentionality, obviously, and planning, and the basis for giving, which is on how the Lord prospers you. So there's a lot of stuff in play here. And all things belong to him, so he gives them out of, in his sovereignty, and we're gonna see that, and that becomes the measuring rod, really, for uh, our generosity. He's able to measure uh, how generous we are and how sacrificial we are by what we've prospered. So let's look at that. Let's look at put aside first. And that, that verb, put aside, is present active imperative. So this is not a general suggestion. Every one of you used to participate, participate, and then he says, and put aside. So present active imperative, tithemi. And so that's, and the way that verb is used in the New Testament, that's to wear or carry no longer. So the idea here is it's instructing everyone then to intentionally identify an amount and make it no longer available to you. Now that's a really good principle when you think about giving, okay? And if you're like me, there's all kinds of reasons why you may not want to give what you initially think you probably should give. Things pop up. Um, There's Uh, Things that you want there's things that are needs and you've made some a commitment and so Paul says this Listen put it aside. So in other words, don't carry it any longer. Don't wear it any longer Don't have it there so that you can dispose of it make it no longer available to you That's a really great process and that really requires some thought Okay, so for the most part then it excludes an emotional response So we don't do that here I don't come back and say, let's pass the plate a second time because this is really a great thing you need to give to, and you need to search your heart and look at the child there who doesn't have any food and make sure you, you know, let's go back through it again. That is not the way Scripture describes New Testament giving. Now, there is compassion, and there is a seeing a need and saying, how can I meet it, and meeting immediate needs, and all those things are part of the process as we give. But listen, an emotional plea so that you give kind of just off the cuff and you're not thinking through it is not one of the ways we see New Testament giving described. And here again, Paul does it, we're gonna see it again in just a few minutes in another passage to make this really uh, firmed up for you in your mind. So, set it aside. So, recognize the need, desire to meet the need, that's the attitude and action connected with this command. And then this next command he says, and save. So, present active imperative, Tithemi, set it, put it aside, and save it. That's Thesoridzo, it has to do with gathering or accumulating. It's used as storing up grain and other items. So it's used in an agrarian society about as you harvest, you're gathering up that harvest. okay? And that's just the general principle. So you're going to put aside, and then you're going to begin to gather it up. So over a period of time, perhaps, you know, however the cycle works for you and your, and, your, uh, and your budget, whatever, you set it aside. You determine what you're going to do. You think through it. You see the need, and you begin to set it aside. Take it off the market, if you will. It's not available to you anymore. And then just begin to store it up. And that's a, very, that's a very straightforward way to go about that, gathering or accumulating. So guideline number four, you can see it at the bottom. So we are to intentionally identify an amount to give and take it out of circulation. This is what Paul's telling the church in Corinth. If you're going to participate in this, this need meeting of the church, and of course not the immediate church, their location right now, but it, of course it is implied that that's being done. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anybody there, and there wouldn't be resources there, and all that stuff wouldn't be available. So Paul says, okay, you know, you've taken care of, your local body's taken care of, this is another local body, you're going to meet the needs of the church, and this is how you're going to do it. So he says, put it aside and save it. And so I did intentionally identify an amount to give, take it out of circulation, and then store it up or accumulate it for the collection. And so that puts the brain in action with rational thought, evaluation of the need, your ability to meet the need, and so we'll talk about this more in a moment. So so each one has to do this, so nobody's off the hook, and like we saw last week, and then each has to do it on the basis of, now catch this, all right, this is very important, many questions about giving come up and they're related to this, so let's just go through this, okay, as he may prosper. And that word prosper, duo. that's a Greek verb, uo duo. as you may prosper, present, passive, subjunctive. All right, so you, you've been with me long enough to know some of this right away, okay. Present tense, that's tense of reality. A passive voice, it's happening to you. So in other words, you're being prospered. In your journey, some things are happening, and you can really kind of break this apart, and we will in a minute. And then subjunctive, remember, is the mood of contingency. So there is some contingency there in what you're going to give. How much will you be able to put aside? How much will you be able to save? It's based on the contingency of how you prosper, okay? So in the English, here we see it is, and you may have that if you're not using the. Uh, the authorized you, you may have in the It says may how you may prosper So there's a question of contingency there in other words the amount you'll be able to set aside and save Will be contingent catch this on how you prospered now that compound verb prosper Refers to a journey and how well you did on a particular journey So if you take it back in context in a, an agrarian society, it may take uh, you know taking the crop or a livestock to market So uh, in a nomadic living style, you're living in a tent out, you know, in the Negev or wherever you are, uh, that could be a long ways away. So you're gathering it all up and you're making a journey into a city center or whatever and you're going to market all of that. And the question of how you're going to do is still up there. You don't know how uh, you know, sow bellies are doing today and you don't know how you know, beef side's going to do and, and whatever it is. And so you get into market and however that market is, that's how you're going to prosper. Many in ancient times uh, would, would uh, come across in their travels precious stones, uh, you know, metals of various kinds. Those would be taken and borrowed as well. You know, If you're a craftsman, if you're artesian, you, know, you, you uh, artisan, you may you know you may make something you may paint something you may uh, do something and you take that and you'll go to market and they depart on this trip to sell or trade uh, what they'd raised or accumulated or made and they'd return home and then you the you o duo would be clear how you did okay and from that is from that your duo is the basis for how you give and i think that's just again obvious that uh, paul would you know he could have said anything he wanted so this is that fifth this is that fifth uh I uh, will show you this fifth guideline. He could have said anything he wanted to say, okay? You know, he could have said, you know, and out of that yo-doo oh, give ten percent. He could have said, out of that yo-doo, oh, give twenty-three and a third percent, which is really the accumulated amount that he told his people in the old testament to give. Now, everybody says, well everybody in the old testament gave ten percent. Actually we don't have any any pictures or snapshots of that being the command from the Lord to do every time. We see a lot of that going on, but when you calculate up everything, and we'll do this one of these times on our study, if you calculate up everything that the Jew was supposed to give that the Lord had commanded, that's 23 and a third percent of, his, of his, uh, what he has, and then he had to be ready to meet immediate need. So, you know, Paul could have said any of those things. Again, keep that in mind. He could have said, hey, you know, out of that amount, cut off 10%, that doesn't belong to you, give it away. Okay? That's not what he said. He just said as you may prosper. Now, guideline number 5 what you give then is based on what the Lord has given you and that's that prospering thing see however your journey went and that will become then God's measuring rod for your generosity so however he prospered you then in return you give back and that just seems to be very straightforward now if you think about it so you can think okay do we have that right well a couple different translations Uh, I want to make sure you know Um, I think we may have passed let's see yeah 1 Corinthians 16 2 good news bible uh, it says this, every Sunday each of you must put aside some money in proportion to what you have earned and save it up. So pretty straightforward there. First Corinthians 16.2, New Century Version. Uh, on the first day of every week, each one of you should put aside money as you have been blessed. That makes sense, right? So all that referring back to how the Lord uh, has given what you have and that becomes that measuring rod then for how you give. So you can see the idea expressed here in verse 3 is this, giving is in proportion to what you've earned. So in other words, it comes from, as we saw just a second ago, candid, truthful, and upfront evaluation of how you've been blessed. So you just engage the brain, you look at how you've done, and then that's how you give. Okay, That's a New Testament standard for giving. It's a general principle for giving. It's how Paul told the New Testament church in Corinth to do it. And according to Paul, that's what he told the Galatian church. That's what he told the uh, Macedonian churches. Everybody got the same thing. and We're going to see the Macedonian church instruction in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we'll see the exact same, almost the exact same wording and a more extensive way to deal with giving in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So we'll take more time to really go back into some more background. So the idea expressed then is this candid, truthful, upfront evaluation of how you've been blessed. Obviously, uh, and I just you know a couple of things that come into my mind, obviously not charging it on your credit card and then carrying that uh, balance over the months. Okay, so you're spending stuff the Lord hasn't even given you. We're not talking about that, okay? If you use a credit card because you get points and then you pay that off every month, you know, how, however that works for you financially, you know, your sound financial uh, as you evaluate what you have, you know, but what we're not talking about is giving on your credit card money you haven't made yet to make sure that the Lord's giving, uh, getting his and you're just carrying that balance. That's not what we're talking about, okay? And now, another thing, it's not necessarily a fixed amount. Some of you, uh, your, your salaries go up and down. Okay, and it's different every month, and and you may have bonuses, you may have things, you have more hardship, more, you know, you may be in a negative cash flow for a month. Okay, so these things are very flexible sometimes, and sometimes they're not. So uh, it's obviously not based on a percentage because Paul could have said that, but math is certainly involved in the whole thing. Okay, you're figuring out what you're going to do, and then you know that certain amount, whatever that is, is going to end up being a percentage, but it isn't what Paul said. Okay, so we're not we're not identifying that as the way we understand it. So, and that really gets rid of this idea that, okay, I gave my 10%, I'm out of it, okay? You know, I, I, you know this, I've already given what I'm supposed to give, I, I know that there's this other need, but I'm, I'm not doing it because, you know, I've done my thing. So it's not that, okay? Um, so it really is, we honestly assess then how much we've been blessed or how much we've earned or, or, or how much we have prospered, uh, what is within our power to dispose of as we see fit as we're able. Now again, I want to shape our thoughts a little bit more as we said earlier. So we'll just touch base with 2 Corinthians 8.2 And we're going to deal with this in depth uh, in a few months But now I just want to look at it um, Because they have something to offer to us now And I think it helps to kind of firm up where we are uh, In our thought process Because it, it says something about the feelings that we need to have as, as the givers of Macedonia can be so helpful in modeling for us And so in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.2 Paul is talking about them And he says this uh, That in a great ordeal of affliction Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So let's just pause right there. A couple of things are obvious here, I think, and you can just pick them out. So they weren't giving out of duty, first of all. Okay, they didn't feel like, okay, this is my duty. I got to do this. Of course, there is a responsibility and an exuberance and, and those kinds of things, a fervency in the ministry that we do and worship that we do. And that certainly plays a part. But the bottom line is this, they're not giving out of duty, they're not pressured into giving, and I don't want you to come away at any time that I've taught this where you think I'm somehow pressuring you to do anything, okay? Uh, I'm not. I'm, they didn't either. They didn't give out of being pressured. And perhaps you've sat under ministries where you felt pressured to do just that. You'll never find that here. Okay, And they were not giving because they expected something. So we don't even see that modeled in. Although, obviously, they understood how the Lord worked because uh, Paul had been teaching them and they understood how these things all go about. So th- this, th- verse 2 says this, that they gave out of joy. They gave out of joy. You can find that in your notes. They were joyful to have the opportunity to give of what they had. Now, we just saw two verses just a minute ago that would probably make that pretty obvious. Why should we be joyful? Well, you know, if the Lord gives back in proportion uh, to the same scoop we use, plus he, he packs it down and dumps it in our lap, you can give out of joy, can't you? In fact, if you don't really think about it, that could be the most favorite part for you of worship because you know the blessing that comes from it. And we also saw Paul quoting Jesus, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if that's the case, and we all know how great it is to receive because we've all been kids and we've all sat around the Christmas tree or whatever, if you had that in your house, or you you were looking forward to your birthday and, you know, there's there was some giving that were going to be going on and it was to you and some of you uh, guys who are my age, you're still looking forward to your birthday and then you give yourself a really cool present and or whatever. All right, now you just take care of it yourself. This is my birthday present, as my wife tells me. Yeah, you've already taken care of your birthday present this year, honey. I mean, you did this and this. So, you know, you know how that is. Okay. You're with your wife, you know, Justin with his guitars, you know, he took care of birthdays for like, you know, 15 years into the future, all that kind of stuff, you know, I just saw your face, Justin, sorry, I just, uh, you know, picked you up, but uh, I'm just envious because he has so many cool guitars, but th- you know that how that works, okay, so we're, we're used to, we're used to receiving, and uh, and we know how that is, but Jesus said it's better to give than receive, so, you know, here's these Macedonian believers, and they're giving out of joy, so it's not surprising, is it, but there was obviously a spirituality going on as they looked at what they had, so, They're giving out of joy. They're joyful to have the opportunity to give of what they had. That's how they felt about it. And they were not just pleased, you know, or content or satisfied or willing. Paul could have used all those words. He said they they were joyful about it. Now, let's skip ahead even further, illustrate this. And and we'll talk about this further, of course, later. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It's a really great passage. Again, part of the uh, two-chapter section in 2 Corinthians that really deals with New Testament giving at length and a bunch of different parts about it. And so I'm looking forward to getting there. But just, just kind of give you a, a little uh, preface of what's going to go on. Verse 7 says this. Each one must do just as he has purposed. Now that's interesting uh, wording, isn't it? Because it's very similar to what we just read in 1 Corinthians 16, right? That's a compound Greek word, peretai, which just means to choose before. So in other words, that just really confirms our understanding of some planning. Okay, They're choosing beforehand. They purposed in their heart. Paul said, set it aside and save it. So take a look at it. Understand how you've been prospered and your mind's engaged in all of this. And so here Paul just kind of again confirms that. You know, They just purposed in their heart what they were going to do. They decided in advance. It wasn't pressure. It wasn't obligation. They didn't somehow feel like they had to do it. They did it with joy and they just purposed in their heart. And obviously as they had prospered or however it was, that was available and that's what they gave. Okay, so he says, Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart. Then he says this, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's the deal. Obviously, because they're really the poster church of New Testament giving, that's how they were giving. So they felt how? Cheerful about it. Paul says, this is how you are to give. The Macedonian believers become the example of this generous giving, this liberality and so they were cheerful about it. They were happy to do it. In fact, it says they were abundantly happy to do it. Their devotion to Christ and his kingdom and the church and their brothers in Christ overflowed in joy. They had joy, not because of their circumstances, because it says early in the passage they had great affliction. So they had joy in giving in spite of their circumstances. They're in a difficult time and they still had joy doing it. And even from a human point of view, if you think about this, beloved, initially, they even made their circumstances perhaps a little more difficult with their generous giving, right? I mean, we can just kind of connect that. If they were in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So they could have made their circumstances at least initially a little more difficult by just sticking with what they pre-planned to give, sticking with what they had set aside to give, or however it was, you find it might be more difficult than initially. So they had joy in being sensitive to new life. They, they were aware of a true purpose. They all the things that you that you give to see happen, godly you know, godly things. You know, laying up treasure in heaven. We talked about that. What does that look like? You know, if, if you're going to lay up treasure that doesn't uh, go away, that doesn't moth doesn't destroy and rust doesn't destroy, that doesn't get broke. Nobody breaks in and steals it. Listen, then that's investing in eternity. That's what they were doing. See. They, they knew it they was more blessed to give than to receive. They understood that God could measure back a greater amount than they gave. So all those things played into joy and cheerfulness. So they gave with feelings of joy, they gave with feelings of cheerfulness and that's how our feelings then can be sculpted. Okay, We can be shaped in that way because those are the feelings that God wants in us. Now back to 2 Corinthians 8 2. So again, just briefly here. A great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed with the wealth of their liberality. Now As you look at the affliction A great ordeal of affliction And deep poverty A feeling God doesn't want us to have about giving Is what Um, He doesn't want us to worry about He doesn't want us to have worry And that's just obvious right He doesn't want us to worry, they had deep poverty They had great affliction, we don't see worry there He doesn't say hey don't worry about that Don't be anxious about that, doesn't say any of that They just had that and they gave with a wealth of liberality And Philippians 4.6 of course says To us, uh, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So obviously, Paul's not not laying this responsibility on the church to give and making it a no-win situation because now they're going to worry about it. See, the church is not worried about it here. It's an understandable concern, of course. The church didn't have much. At this point, they didn't appear to be an affluent church or a church with much to give on the side. They had deep poverty very deep poverty. It just means that they were, uh, tokia is the word, the noun. It just means the church, many in the church were destitute. Some were living uh, hand-to-mouth or paycheck-to-paycheck. So a very tight budget, if you will. Uh, Not a lot to give. Many difficult things around them. Some hardship that's going on. And what I love about this passage, beloved, is this. I like that they're factored into what New Testament giving looks like. Because, I mean, if it was just wealthy people, then it'd be very difficult for us to relate to it, right? I mean, if it was just people who had a lot uh, extra and they were giving a lot, it wasn't really a big deal. Paul pulls these people in. They don't have much. They're going through a difficult time because not only did they not worry about it, even though it was tight, they understood the promises of God to the point that they felt secure for the future. How do we know that? Well, do we know that because they overflowed. See, not only did they not worry in that tight-pressing place where they were, they overflowed in their abundance. They could give open-handedly, and I think we could see again that um, giving, again, as we said, is not a matter of what you have, it's a matter of the heart and how you feel about what you have. Where do you set your heart? And that's uh, that's a great example from them. So, now, in case you've said before, um, if I had more, I'd give more, remember, or if I had something, I would give it. Remember, you know, Luke 16.10, he was faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous all in much. Now, that passage there is dealing with material things. I mean, that, as Jesus is observing what's going on, as he understands some, you know, don't understand how to use well, uh, unrighteous wealth in a righteous way, he just, he just says this, just in case you're thinking if I had something, I'd give it, or if I had more, I'd give it. Understand this, the general principle for that is this, that if you're faithful in a little, you're going to be faithful in much. So if you're faithful, you're faithful. You show you're faithful in the tight times. You'll be faithful in a lot. And if we believe, and, and he goes on to say, listen, if you, if I can't trust you with a little bit of material wealth, how can I possibly trust you with a great bit of spiritual wealth? And so he ends up putting that spiritual wealth on a great, much higher plane than unrighteous mammon, and just says, listen, if you can't even manage this little bit, uh, you know, in a responsible way, you're never going to be able to manage a whole lot of other things, uh, in a in a in a responsible way. You're faithful. You're faithful. If you're faithful in little you're faithful in much. If we believe, if we trust, we're obedient to the little, we'll be obedient in much. And and it didn't matter if their prospering was small, because if we go back to 1 Corinthians 16, it doesn't matter if their prospering is small or big. It didn't hit their attitude or action in giving. And so it says it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. And again, this is the way we can shape our feelings. So um, the church overflowed with generosity in their attitude towards giving. They had cultivated this feeling of generosity. Uh, Liberality um, is a great Greek noun. It really means simplicity or singleness if you will. And the idea here of course is their singleness of heart to be generous. They they had determined that that's what they were going to do and they were single-mindedly going to do it. It didn't matter if they prospered a little. It didn't matter if they prospered a lot. Because remember our basis is how you prosper. That's how you set aside. And so they were single-minded about being generous. And that was how they were going to approach all of it. They weren't wealthy, but they were generous. With money, it's going to be a cultivated attitude, okay? Because the natural indication is to say, I recognize the need, but there's me to think about. Okay, right? Let me be real. I mean, I recognize the need, but there's me to think about. You know, I'd like to meet the need, but there might not be enough left over for what I want to do. Uh, or I recognize the shortfall, and it's legitimate ministry that's happening, but I don't believe God's going to supply if I give to this need. So it's any number of those things, see? We talked about that last one last time, that if we, if we don't obey uh, in understanding these wonderful passages that deal with how God gives back, then it really is because we don't believe God's going to do it. I mean, we just got to be real about it. We'd, otherwise, we'd give. We don't we must not believe God's going to give back abundantly packed down pressed together and dump it in your lap. Because if we did believe that, there wouldn't be any restriction on what we do. How we prospered would be how we would give, and then God would give back. See? And if we understood it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, we wouldn't be worrying about giving it away, right? Because we know that the blessing is greater than what we've already experienced in the receiving of gifts to ourselves. See? So it just overflowed. Uh, the natural thought process is at odds with this see and so this is a way we have to cultivate our attitude as it look as we look at things that we have And that of course we just said those things you know uh, I recognize the need but there's me to think about and all that other stuff That's the opposite of the model we see in Macedonian believers They overflowed in the wealth of their liberality and part of that will come from knowing where all the supply comes from okay because I think as we look at what we have and we have we're struggling a little bit to give, it's because we think somehow we're the one who put this portfolio together by the strength of our of our arm or, or our mental ability or or our acuity in the stock market or or whatever it is. See, we we have this idea that what we've put together belongs to us because it was us who put it together. Okay. Now I, I think that it's hard to be it's hard to be generous and liberal with what you're doing when you think somehow you're the one who's in charge of it, and that if you give it away, it's not going you know it's gone. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. And that whole pie versus a silo thing that we talked about last time comes into play. But I just want to take a look just quickly before we close up. A couple passages that really supplement this understanding of being generous because you understand where everything comes from, Uh, that can help our feelings of generosity, our feelings of joy, our feelings of cheerfulness, Uh, those kinds of things can be helped by recognizing uh, where all of this comes from. Psalm 50 verse 10, one of my favorite passages underlined in my Bible, and I have told you this before, every passage in my Bible that talks about money, I, I highlight in green. I just gotta, you know if I see it in green, I know it's talking about money So I'll flip it through there. there's a lot of green, all right I mean I talked to, talked to you about this before. There's a, a large factor of greater speaking about money in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament than about any other thing. So I just highlighted it in green. And so this is one of those passages I've highlighted a long time. but just remember this, beloved okay, here's what it says and you can see it on the screen behind me. So every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, verse 11, I know every bird of the mountain and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all it contains. In other words, I don't need anything from you because I own everything. You don't have to give me anything, the Lord says. It all belongs to me. If I was hungry, I could take what I wanted. If I needed anything, it's there. I created it all. It all belongs to me. And it's addressing a people who are bringing sacrifices to the Lord without their heart involved. And, you know, bringing sacrifices to the temple and their and slaughter of the cows and, and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord's like, listen, this all belongs to me. I, I don't need you to bring it to me, okay? It belongs to me. It's mine. And just to affirm that, Haggai 2.7, again, a, a green passage in my Bible. Um, now, the Lord's encouraging the prophet that the small temple they're rebuilding after they're coming back from captivity is... Um, is nothing compared to the one that will be built in the future. And so God says this. He says this. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Okay, so... Not only are the cattle is the cattle on the thousand hills mine not only all the birds and if I were hungry I wouldn't need to ask you because everything belongs to me and the earth and everything in it uh, he says this the silver is mine the gold's mine I know you built a small temple you've come back from the land of captivity you don't have much and people were weeping because the temple size as they rebuilt it was much smaller than the one that they had been torn down and they're like oh man and the Lord's like don't worry about this and he's thinking about the glorious appearing of Christ and and all the things that are going to happen and he's like listen this is going to be way different Okay. This all belongs to me. This is where you are, and you've come out of captivity. And this is what this is what you can do. And uh, just put this one on, if you would, Alex or whoever's back there. This is what you can do. And so, don't worry. It's all mine all of it. The earth is mine, all that's in it. Um, Gold comes out of the earth I created, God says. So do the trees that are used to make money. So just put it right in our our, uh, vernacular. Everything is mine. And so uh, God says it's all his. It all comes out of the earth. It all comes out of his creation, all of it. Now, remember, see, God is saying this to a destitute people who had very little. Uh, The first group from Psalms had a lot. And they weren't honoring the Lord with what they had. The second group out of Haggai, they had nothing. And they were nearly destitute, having just come out of captivity. And here's the thing. He wants to reassure, reassure both of them, both groups, that he alone possesses all things. Now, the ones they think con- who think they control their assets and the ones who don't have many assets. He's like, listen, either way, understand that everything that is out there belongs to me. I don't need anything from you. You think you're wealthy, but I've given it to you. And if you don't have anything, don't worry, because it all belongs to me, and I'll take care of it. Both sides of the coin here. Now, the last passage I want to look at is from Deuteronomy 8.6. I'd like you to turn there, actually, if you would. This, this passage is really rich, and there's a lot we can pull out of it, and we won't spend the time to do it, uh, but uh, there will be some things I want you to see, as, because it really applies to what we just got through talking about. And Here's what's happening. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a group coming into the land from wandering in the desert for 40 years and this is the conversation that precedes uh, the first two that we just looked at, okay, this is when the Israel's is coming out of wandering and they're coming into their land and um, the Lord is talking to them about this land that they're getting, and we just t- barely touched on this last week, we'll do a little bit more this week look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, Are you there? It says, therefore Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him. Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills. Verse 8, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. So pause right there, okay? Now just get that picture in your mind. So here's the deal. God's drawing their attention to something they obviously know already. When God made the world, he filled it with a lot of wonderful things. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, the land they're coming into sounds pretty lush. Sounds like there's a lot there to be available to them. And when he picked a land for his own people, he gave them the best land there was to have. That's nah, just like the mind of God, isn't it? I mean, this is the people that were called by his name. This is the land he's going to give them. So he just, nothing wrong with any of that, okay? He puts them right where he wants them. Then verse 9, a land where it says where you will eat food without scarcity and in which you will not lack anything. So God's generous. God's good. God's gracious. He gives to his people. And as he brings his people into the land, this is what he does for them. And you recognize that about him, right? Right? I mean, as you, as you give thanks for your food, as you give thanks for your day, as you close your night out after your kids are in bed, you lay down and just say, Lord, my life is rich. I have way more than I could ever imagine. And you might not have a lot. You might have not, not have much at the end of the month, or the month you know may still be going and you've come to the end of the resources or whatever it is. But when you lay down at night and you look around you, you can really say, right, you can resonate with the people and just say, hey, you know, I have a lot. You've, you've blessed me. You know, I've spent a lot of time overseas with people who didn't have a lot. And you know what? They always always said that. And when I looked at their life, I think, man, you hardly have anything, you know? And yet, they were like, you know, Lord, you're good and you're gracious to us and you give. And so, again, it's not a matter of what you have. It's how you feel about what you have, right? And where you set your heart. And they set their heart where it should be. So here's the deal. God's good. He's gracious. And you can recognize that. And uh, that helps to shape our feelings, too, doesn't it? God, you're good. You're gracious. I know we're tight. You're still good, and you're gracious. I know we barely have enough to make it. Um, You know, sometimes we're not sure where that last grocery run mining is going to come from, or whatever it is. But you're good, okay? Then he goes on to say, verse 9, A land where you'll eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. So they're already mining. They're bringing minerals to the surface. Okay, Um, you know, mining was uh, bringing the earth into subjection. So, you know, if you're one of those that... Uh, straps yourself to an oil rig and says don't drill here or whatever. Understand, you know, that was the mind of God way before, you know, Greenpeace and all those guys are out there trying to keep the whales from getting killed and and all that, All right. And just in general, the world is not eternal. It's not going to last, okay? Now, that doesn't mean we don't take care of it, but it's all going to burn out, and and Jason read that today. Because it's all going to be consumed, what kind of people should you be? So keep that in mind, okay? So he says, listen, you're going to be able to dig these things out of the ground, you know, that's God's idea, you know, and then verse 10 says this, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Now, there's anything wrong with that good land, right? It doesn't say you should feel badly about it because you have enough to eat. It doesn't say you should feel guilty because you know you've got olive oil and bread and, and you're you're picking grapes and vines you didn't plant and you're you're planting cultivated fields and harvesting them and you didn't you didn't do that and you got a house to live in and you didn't build it. it doesn't say hey you should feel badly about that. You know, strip all that away from you like the Amish. You know, how far down can we get? You know, let's let's take away how. how when is it that you've got to the point where that it's at the right amount, that you've stripped away, see, in order to be spiritual? and we're not talking about that. See, God doesn't say anything about that. When you've eaten and you're satisfied, you'll bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you, okay? So God affirms those things. Just give him thanks. He tells the people, you know, enjoy enjoy this. I mean, this is my gift to you. Uh, you know, this is the harvest that I own. This is, you know, kill the fatted calf, whatever. You know, I prefer a good steak. If you want a fatted calf, go ahead. But, um, you know, this richness, this goodness of God, whatever it is, you know, this is the thing that I've given you, he says, just give the Lord thanks, bless him, you know, um, enjoy that. Uh, and verse 10, what are they to do? You know, bless the Lord your God. Uh, what's that mean? Well, you know, it just means uh, be thankful. Recognize his goodness. Recognize the source of everything. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the minerals, all the trees, all the birds. Everything belongs to him. The earth in all its fullness. It all belongs to him. He gives it to whomever he wishes in his sovereignty. And he's given them this. And this is a great example for us to see. How do you respond? You Give him thanks. You worship him because he's been good to you. And if your heart's not set on it, if you're not uh, Conceited about it, if you had not set your heart on And your security on your wealth Then it makes no, you won't have any trouble And there's no conflict for you If you have something, if you don't have something you know, It doesn't really matter, it's all going to burn up anyway But whatever the Lord's given me, I can give thanks to him about it See. And then here's the danger Look at verse 11 Beware, it says That you do not forget the Lord your God By not keeping his commandments and his ordinances And his statutes where I'm commanding you today See, here's the concern that the Lord has with all of this, see, he's, he's not concerned with how how much they had at this point, he was later, we saw in Psalm 50, he's like, hey, you know, you don't have to bring that stuff to me, I own it all, I want your heart, I don't have your heart, I have I have your actions, which somehow are supposed to reflect where your heart is, but I don't have your heart, here he says, listen, beware you don't forget the Lord your God, he's not concerned with what they have, or what they don't have, he's the source of little, he's the source of much, If you prosper a little bit, he's the source of that. If you prosper a lot, he's the source of that. He's concerned with how you remember to obey and honor him with your obedience. So when in all the goodness he's given you and your heart's grateful and you're thankful to him, see, all that gratefulness and thankfulness will work its way out in obedience and we will see that work its way out in generosity and in joy in giving and in cheerfulness of giving. And when you do that, he's pleased. He's got no problems with with all of that. He's got no problems with whether he's blessed you a lot or a little. None of that thing is factoring in. It's where your heart is and how you respond to him in relationship to that. And then he says this. Otherwise, verse 12, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them. Nothing wrong with that. You know, nothing wrong with having a comfortable house or whatever being filled comfortable. If the Lord's blessed you in that way, You, you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's part of the way the Lord has handed it out to you, okay? Verse 13, and when your herds, look at there in your copy of God's word, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver, and gold, multiply. Who owns all of that? Who owns all of that? The Lord does, right? Just got through saying that. I own all of that. All the cows are mine, all the trees, all the all the minerals, all that kind of stuff. Whenever it is that you multiply, however you prosper, okay, when your herds, your flocks multiply, your silver, and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, so there's nothing wrong with all that because the only reason it can do that is because the Lord allows that to happen. He's sovereign in all that, okay? He owns everything. We understand that by now, okay? So he gives it to him whoever he pleases, and whoever he wills. He says so. When you have all these things, the Lord gives so graciously. And then here's the real issue, verse 14. He says this. Then your heart will become proud. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 15, he led you through a great terrible wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. Where there was no water, he brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, pause right there, you know, it's, an always, it's always an issue of the heart, isn't it? You have this stuff. The Lord blessed you. Whatever it is, great or small, and whatever you have, otherwise you may say in your heart, verse 17, "My power and the strength of my hand." Here it is. Made my wealth. I'm the one who did this. See, that's one of the that's one of the big obstacles we have in the natural state in being generous and giving, and doing it cheerfully, and joyfully. Why? Because we made all this. It belongs to me. I did it. Okay, my portfolio is mine. I'm the one who's slaved. I'm the one who sacrificed. I put this away, and it belongs to me. And why should I give it? And you can see the Corinthian church in this little this little uh, island of spirituality in the sea of paganism. And they're all sitting in there. They're going, Hey, we heard about this this collection, and there's all kinds of disunity and all kinds of problems in the church. And they got off track. And you know, Timothy came, and then they forgot what he said. And so the, Paul's just reminded them the same exact way. Listen, you know, listen. You've got to say in your heart, my power, my strength, and my hand has made this wealth. It's exactly what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. "Tell them, Don't let them be conceited about what they have or set their hope on it. Why? Because you didn't do it. See? You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who's giving you the power to make wealth. Did you catch that? Remember the Lord your God. It's he who gave you the power to get wealth. Could it be any more clear than that? How, how can you get anything? The Lord gives you the ability to do it. Okay? This is very clear. Not only does he own the world and everything in it, he's the one that gives you the ability to get whatever it is that you get. He's the one. And no matter what level he's blessed you, he just wants you to remember who gave it to you. That's important, isn't it? That's a great attitude to have. That shapes our feelings about it. When you think about giving, that helps at it. Not only does he own everything, he's the one that gives you the ability to get anything. He hands that to you. See? Did you realize he was on the front end and the back end? He's on the way he's the one that owns everything, and he's the one that's able to give you the ability to get it. Okay? I mean he's on he's on both sides. We're gonna see that he's in the seed and he's in the harvest in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. How how well the seed is planted and how it grows and how the harvest works for you at the end and what you give out of that harvest. He's in all of that seed. And beloved, when you, you know, when you come to grips with that, I think it should change the way you give. You understand that, hey, each one of you is to do this. Why? Because it it's not based on how much you have. It's based on where your heart is. See. If you have a little, if you have a lot, however the Lord's prospered you in some certain time, you give out of that. See. And considering what we saw last time, there's more blessed to give than to receive, and that God's promise to restore what you give in the same measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, you, know, you combine those promises with these facts, that can really shape us to be more like the Macedonians. right? And that was the whole point, to put them on display, to make them the poster church of what New Testament giving looks like and he took the, the lowest of the low the ones who barely scraped it they, you know, hand to mouth and, and living paycheck to paycheck and they did this with great joy even in the midst of difficult times and pressing pressure as we looked at that word before and let's look at this last part of the passage verse 18 and we're going to close But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to get, make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. He told them they were going to have the land. He told them they were going to put in a land that was going to be filled with things they didn't do. So God's just, you know, he's just fulfilling his promises that, that you know, the, the principles that we see here remain. I mean, the Lord's not going to say I'm pleased with it to one person and not pleased with it to another. The Lord's not capricious that way. He doesn't change his mind. However, he deals with it, he deals with it. He deals with the same with everyone. It's very consistent. That's why you need to be in the Word every single day, reading your way through the Word. You understand these things, you begin to understand these things about God. But you're going to remember, he's just going to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God, you and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, which is what the people in the land were doing before they came. Okay. They were they were worshiping false gods. And so you know, the Lord says he vomited all those people out of the land and he gave it to his own people. Okay. If you ever forget and you serve other gods and you worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Verse 20, like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, we're just going to stop right there, and it has to do with some other things that we won't deal with today. I think you can you can make that connection. But it really brings us to a general principle that helps us understand something of how we handle money. The general principle is this. You can copy this down if you'd like. The way you handle wealth and material goods and money is a barometer of your spiritual state. Let's just be real about that, okay? I mean, that is a barometer. The way you handle material things, the way you handle wealth, is a barometer of your spiritual state. If you have the right to approach, if you thank God for it, if you respond in obedience to Him, and how you use it, and how you worship Him with it, and God is well pleased. When you're when you're generous, when you're sacrificial, when you when you set something aside as you prosper, when you do that, you're recognizing He's the source of everything, and He's well pleased with that. You, you've got nothing then to sit there and say, "I'm gonna, you know, I need to feel guilty about this." And you know what? I, I, you know, there's no conflicting things going on in your heart. He's very straightforward about it. So. Giving guideline number one. Giving is the way the church needs are met. We give in order to meet the needs of the church. uh, Guideline number two. It's part of worship. Number three. Everybody's supposed to participate. So that is the normal action of believers. For everybody. Number four. Intentionally identifying and thinking through what is to be set aside and taking that out of circulation is an important process, a step in how you do that. And guideline number five. What you give is based on what the Lord has given you. And that becomes then... The measuring rod for your generosity so however you have prospered, that's what you do And if we're going to do that right uh, that will all happen with feelings of joy it'll be part of the cheerfulness that we have as part of that worship there's security and generosity based on the heart of god so very straightforward it's not it's not uh, it's not complex the lord just gives us his guidelines and says listen as i told all the churches paul says in in, uh, in galatia as i told them in macedonia Uh, Achaia, which is Corinthian, in Romans he says he told all those churches and then he went through and they all gave, like he said and it becomes that model for us and then he says this, and this is how we're going to work okay and once you've done all that, Paul says, when you've determined what you're going to do and you set it out of circulation and then you begin to accumulate it he says listen, no collections will be made when I come in other words, I'm not going to have to come and convince you I'm not, I'm not going to have to readdress this with you If you understand how all this works See I'm not going to have to give you some emotional plea For the people who are in Jerusalem You understand what the need is What's the need? That's my attitude How can I meet it? That's the action How do you meet it? Well you meet it by setting aside some portion Based on what you've taken in And you accumulate that and you give it That's how it works see. I'm not going to pass the plate twice Paul says you think through this. You understand the need. Embrace your opportunity. Be generous. Be sacrificial. Because that's how the Lord deals with you. And he, anything you have belongs to Him anyway. This is going to be a time of blessing for them and time of blessing for you. We're going to see in Second Corinthians eight nine, generous giving results in thanksgiving to God. And you get blessed obviously when you give, but the Lord gets glorified when needs are met. How about this church in Jerusalem when this when this offering showed up from all these other churches? Who do you think they were thinking? They're giving thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He provided. And they're trying to provide for the needs of this huge Jerusalem church where lots of people are not working and there's lots of need, and then this big offering shows up, and all these faces from this Gentile churches saying, I love you, and who's getting thanks? The Lord's getting thanks, see? And that's exactly what he wants to have happen. He gets glory. And so, you know, it's not complicated. And so we're just going to kind of work our way through and just do, you know, little snapshots of guidelines for giving that can help us incorporate that into our lives and, and be more pleasing as we put the Lord in this process of our own budget. So that he can have the blessing and have the glory and give us a blessing uh in return all right let's close in the word of prayer we'll have uh, dr corn come up and and he'll be giving us a, a preview to the video for um elan jess lord we thank you today uh, again for an opportunity to be in your word we thank you for the clarity in which you uh give uh, our understanding give to our understanding about how uh, things are managed in in uh, a spiritual way material things are managed And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us incorporate that. Uh, Not complex, but certainly may require a different mindset. I pray by your Holy Spirit, you'll have the right to do that in our lives, that we'll be willing to deal with, uh, as your son said, unrighteous mammon in a righteous way. That we'll understand what true riches really are when we uh, can handle things that aren't true riches, things that are temporary. Uh, in the right way, so Lord, just all these things, I pray to organize those thoughts. Please strike from our mind uh, anything that I have said that uh, wrongly, wrongly evaluated what you said, or in some way represented you incorrectly. And help us to hang on to these uh, very important principles that are true from your word, so that we might be able to work through a process that allows us to be in a place of your uh, where we, you can bless us and where we can be a blessing to others and meet the needs that are there. And we thank you again for the richness that you've poured out on us for the very. A gracious way that you deal with us constantly for giving us way more than we need. You said uh, with uh, uh, something over our head and clothing on our back and food we should be content and, and certainly those who've been giving sacrificially understand that they would certainly be content with all of that but yet you're good and you've given us even more and so for that we thank you. We want to bless you uh, back and, and and recognize by our obedience with it that you're the source of all of that and we pray that you just work your way out in our lives that we might be that way. Thank you for a very generous church, Lord. Thank you for many, many who sit here who already understand this, these principles, who've understood them for years and have modeled their life in that way. And yet, and even as we see in Proverbs, there's some who give away more than uh, you think they should give, and yet they have all the more. And there's some that withhold uh, what's due and, and yet suffer loss. And Lord, I, they've understood that long ago. And thank you for the blessing on them. Thank you for the example that they are to the rest of us. I pray we'll continue to be conformed into the image of your Son, Uh, by the sanctification that comes from your word. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.